Exodus 3, verse 1. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame, a fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, and he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near, take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. And I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt." But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, But I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. And this ends the reading of God's word. Um, considering as we have for however long we've been in Mark, how long have we been in Mark? A year and a half, going on two years? Um, as regards the ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ, um, a number of questions um, come to mind, or they should come to mind, um, um, two of which Jesus himself raised. Back in the eighth chapter of Mark, um, he asked his disciples, who do men say that I am? In other words, you know, what, what are the people saying about me? Well, you know, what's, what's the word on the street? You know, what does popular opinion say? about me. And even more important question than that was, was the second one he raised, and he says, uh, uh, who do you say that I am? Enough about popular opinion, enough about what the polls say about me, who do you say that I am? What do you think about me? Now, the best way to really know who Jesus is, is not what we think or what others think, but what Jesus says of himself, about himself. And that's what the seven I am statements of Jesus are all about. 
So we begin a new series this morning entitled um, Image of the Invisible God, the seven I am statements of Jesus, which will actually be nine weeks. So we'll begin here in Exodus this morning. We'll look at the seven I am statements that Jesus made of himself, and then we'll conclude on the ninth, on the ninth week. Amen? All right. Now, uh, we can often tell about someone's history, sometimes from their name, um, the name, last name Carpenter, for example, um, tells us something probably um, about the history of that family, and that is that uh, the family profession um, likely involved um, woodworking at one time. Carpenter. Anyone know any carpenters? <clears throat> Um, and even if the occupation was abandoned long ago, if you trace back um, their history, hey, you find out that there were carpenters in the family and so on. Um, you know, Shakespeare's Hamlet asked what? What is in a name? Well, in the Bible, um, in Scripture, names have great significance. They, they have great form. Um, Abraham, for instance, his name means father. And to the son of promise was given the name Isaac because when, when God told Abraham and Sarah that they would have a child, they, they laughed. Isaac means laughter. And Moses means deliver. Jesus, you know, God is salvation. So we see uh, great uh, profound meanings um, in names throughout Scripture. Um, names in the ancient world um, almost always um, link a person's character um, or, or nature to, to that particular name um, that is given them, like uh, heel catcher, you know, Jacob, and so on. So needless to say, God's name um, also reveals uh, much about um, his nature, and that's what we're after um, in this series of studies. And here in today's passage, we, we see this encounter um, with Moses at the burning bush. Um, God, Yahweh, having heard the cries of his people, Exodus chapter 2, um, sends Moses to lead his people out of Egypt. We're all familiar with that, or we should be, since we spent, I don't know how long, in the book of Exodus. But Moses you know, asks God to reveal his name, and God replies, I am. I am. Um, I am um, is the Hebrew Yahweh, um, as you all know, otherwise known as the, uh, the, the Tetragrammaton, uh, because of the four consonants YH, um, WH, um, that make up the phrase. Uh, no one really knows how exactly to pronounce it, truly, um, how to exact, exactly where to translate it. Um, ancient Hebrew doesn't have um, written vowels, and God's name is also constructed with imperfect verbs. So when we read Scripture, um, we, we could have uh, the present tense or future tense as regards Almighty God, that is, um, I am who I am, um, I am who I will be, or I will be who I am, for I am. tells us many important things about his identity. In the first place, it indicates that the Lord's character does not change. 
We can say, you know, um, you know, I was I yesterday, or I was Y yesterday, and um, I'm X today. Or I was um, six foot four at the beginning of summer, and I'm six foot four and a half at the end of summer. Like the little girl across the street, I've watched her grow over the summer. I think she's grown two inches since June. So she's, she's changed, but our creator is I am. He's un, unchanging. He's the one for whom there is no, James chapter 1, verse 17, shadow of change. There is no shadow of change with the Creator. God's name is one that, that is lofty, as we see in this text, we see throughout Scripture. His name is lofty, yet he fixates on the lowly. And this is what he does here. If notice, we see um, the lofty nature of his name and his lowly concern. Look at verses 7, 8, and 10. Verse 7, uh, the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people. Verse 8, I have come down to deliver them. Verse 10, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out. Verse 15, God says, say to the people, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has sent me to you. So God's name, which is lofty, um, he fixates on the lowly. So here's Moses. He's an old man. At this point in time, he's 80 years old. Um, He was met by God to be sent by God to the very people of God. And in response, Moses says, you know, who am I? And if you notice, God doesn't disagree with Moses, uh, with Moses that he's a nobody, that he's a nothing to carry out this task. You know, God here, he never points to, uh, out it to anything in Moses that says you can do this because he's not the means of God's power. He's a vessel that will be used by God. So in other words, God never says, you know, don't think of yourself in this way, Moses. Don't think so lowly of yourself. You're great. You know, you know be a positive thinker. You're wonderful. You're capable. You can do anything you put your mind to. None of that nonsense. None of it. No emphasis of ability to carry out the task is laid on Moses. This is all about God. Exodus has nothing to do with Moses. It has everything to do with our Lord, the great deliverer. He calls Moses to himself and to this task, which uh, tells us first and foremost as regards God's character, uh, and there's a few points to be made this morning. The first thing we want to learn at learn from this text is that the I am um, is self-revelatory. God is self-revelatory. It's not, in other words, Moses who names God. God reveals himself to Moses, without which he would never know God. God reveals himself. He condescends and meets man. And that's very important because in Moses' time, 
and, and context. It was the Egyptian priests who gave names to their little false deities. The Egyptian priests would give names to these deities, believing that if, if you discovered a deity and you gave a name to that deity, you could compel that deity on your behalf. You'd have a foot up. If you knew, if you knew the name of that god, you could use that name, and it would provide some, some clout for you. But the one true God must reveal himself. He must come down. Self-revelatory nature of God. Showing us that there's no way at all to understand the one true God apart from God. This is what we refer to as special revelation. Divine revelation. There's no way we can truly or fully comprehend um, the one true God by mere mental um, or, or emotional um, faculties. You cannot philosophize God. You cannot psychologize God. The, the very essence and nature of who God is, he must reveal himself. So therefore, point one, he is self-revelatory. This is what we see. There's the theophany of a burning bush. Moses turns. He's mesmerized. It's burning. It's not being consumed. And then he hears God's voice. I am. Second, um, God, the one true God, is also um, self-referential. Self-referential. In that he compares himself to himself. There's nothing else for which to compare himself with other than himself. I am that I am. Now, that also was absolutely countercultural to the religions um, of Egypt in this day. God cannot provide a sufficient metaphor or image to fully define himself. In Hebrews 6.13, we read this. He made a promise to Abraham, swearing by himself, for there was no one greater. So he swore by himself. He swore by himself. In other words, the creator doesn't grab from his creation to tell Moses, eh, this is what I'm like, such as the Egyptian deities. See, in other words, I'm the only one who's like me. I am that I am. Nothing can capture the totality of God's essence or nature. He's self-referential. Now, if you recall, um, Egypt had a plethora um, of deities. They had a God for everything. It's part of the sign judgments. It was an attack on these deities as well, these false deities. So they had very elaborate, um, very ornate buildings, temples, furniture. Um, so um, Egypt um, had this hierarchy of deities that were represented within all that, all throughout the land. They each had their own little sphere um, of influence um, and or, or power. And the Egyptian priests, for instance, would tell you, if you want to have a greater understanding um, as regards um, Ra 
or Ray, however you prefer to pronounce it, um, the, the sun god, you must consider the sun, for that is his domain, the sun, the rising, falling of the sun. If you want to know I'm, I'm happy, um, then you have to ponder the Nile River. So go ponder the Nile River to understand more about Hopi, this particular deity, god of the Nile, Ra, the sun god. And then these things um, reflected the divine qualities behind all these deities, not with the one true God. And, you know, things are no different today. You know, oftentimes we'll say, well, uh, we live in a secularized society, but secularism is really just a mirage. there's There's no such thing as true irreligion, if you really get down to it. Because everybody serves somebody, everybody serves something, everybody worships something. We do learn something from Bob Dylan. Amen? (laughs) You older hippies. Great song, isn't it? Everybody serves somebody. Today, people will say, you know, God is um, energy. If you want to know God, you have to get in touch with with nature. Go hug a tree. Go, Go kiss a mountain. Or the patterns of the stars, for instance, provide um, a path of understanding for our future. All this new age nonsense. There is no true irreligion. There is no true secularism in any given day. Um, sexual, sexual pagan forms of worship in the first century and thereafter, um, combined with um, pharmakia, sorcery, narcotics, um, orgiastic gatherings to to come into contact with these deities. And today, expressions of sexuality in its many forms are are spiritualized spiritualized or deified, divinized to this very day. All that to say there is no such thing as true secularism. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but Spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places and so on. The I am tells us he can only compare himself to himself. Nothing in all of creation is adequate to describe or define the totality of God's person. I am that I am. So he's he's self-revelatory. He's self-referential. It also... Um, he's, um, I don't even know if this sounds right, but he's omnihistoric. Omnihistoric. He, he spans all of eternity. He is significantly attached to the past, present, and future. Not like the sun that rises and falls on any given day, from an earthly perspective, that is. Ra, the sun god. He's to- totally outside patterns of nature that he's established by speaking them into existence. So there would be the dying of rising of deities in Egypt. That's the mindset of the day. The dying and rising of particular deities. Not with I am. He's the God of the past. Notice um, he talks about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The ancestry of Moses. That's how he identifies himself. I'm the God of your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He made covenant with them. 
He made a covenant with them long before Moses that finds greater revelation and, and greater fulfillment in the ministry of Moses, and that is the God who's the God of the present. God of the past, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he's here now with Moses on this mountain in the present, and he reveals himself more fully to Moses through the theophany of the burning bush that wasn't being consumed. And he's also the God of the future. Verse 15, this is my name forever. And thus, I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Omnihistoric. So here then, this, this special revelation of God reveals his, his lofty character, and he expresses his plans to Moses that obviously have been predetermined, pre-planned. Verse 20, I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. After that, he will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go empty. They come out with gold and jewelry and all kinds of goods. Basically just hand it over to them. So here, God's thoughts, his mind, ultimately determine or decree what comes to pass. He's the God of the past, present, and the future. You know what we'll often say in less than pleasant conditions, and I've said this many times before, well, you know, God, he allowed this to happen. And again, the question that we must always ask, if that's a phrase that we use, is this. Is there anything he allows that he hasn't already decreed to allow? Look at Genesis 15, 13. Then the Lord said to Abram, this is before he changes his name, know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great Possessions. So question, how did those 400 years begin? Psalm 105, verse 16. When he, God, summoned a famine on the land and broke all supply of bread, he had sent a man ahead of him. Joseph, who was sold as a slave, his feet were hurt with fetters. His neck was put in a collar of iron until what he had said came to pass. The word of the Lord tested him. Isn't that beautiful? He's infinite. His thoughts are not ours. His ways are not our ways. 
He is power supreme, beloved. The I am, power supreme, above whom there is no might, above whom there is no power, above whom there is no transcendence. He is the transcendent one, who, as we'll see, became imminent. Transcendence and imminence. I am. You know, you hear this, these silly terms about my higher power, like an AA, an NA, my higher power. There's all kinds of higher powers that exist in this world, amen? Your boss is a higher power. When the lights flash behind you, when you run through a stop sign, that's a higher power, and you stop. In the military, there are higher powers, all the way up the ladder to the President of the United States, who is a higher power, but none of them are supreme. None of them are transcendent. Therefore, no perception of man can possibly conceive him. He must reveal himself. No metaphor can express him, the I am, and no time frame is able to contain him. I am that I am. And yet, God's transcendence that we see in Scripture, that means which is beyond experience, condescends in imminence for him to be experienced. Isn't that beautiful? The transcendent one. Notice verse 7. I know, says God, they're suffering, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. God could remain distant as the transcendent one. Alone and not care at all about you and have absolutely no interest in your life, in your traumas, your troubles, your problems, and he could just remain separate from his creation. But he doesn't. Because instead, look, look at what we read. He, he speaks. The transcendent one speaks. He condescends to do this, to communicate with his creatures. He speaks. Notice, we, we see that he sees their affliction, the people of people of God. He sees affliction. He speaks. He, he sees. He hears their crying. And he knows their suffering. And then we, we read that he comes down. He comes down. He condescends. Condescending grace in order to, to deliver. He speaks, he sees, he hears, he knows, he comes down and he delivers. I am. So he reveals himself as, as interwoven throughout the human story. He's not distinct from it. Now, the great theologian of our day, John Frame, 
refers to the concept of transcendence. Okay, now follow this. He, he refers to the concept of transcendence as covenant headship. Covenant headship, I like that. And he refers to imminence as covenant involvement. Covenant involvement. So transcendence, covenant headship. Imminence, God's covenant involvement. And I'm quoting, God's imminence may be further described as covenant solidarity. I like that. God elects his covenant people and identifies their goals with his. I like that. And I quote, I continue to quote, The heart of the revelation is expressed by the words, I will be your God and you shall be my, my people. End quote. Notice, he comes to a people who are not regal. They're not noble, but they're slaves. They have no power. They have no dignity. They're nothing. They have zero control. And he, I am, the transcendent one, condescends. He comes down. He hears their cry. He comes down to them to take hold of them to deliver them, to lead them, and continue to lead them. I am. He doesn't remain distant from the world he created. He comes down and he interacts with fallenness. A world that he cursed. A world that he judged. He enters into it, into the midst of falling chaos. So notice, I am, he's not disengaged, he's not a spectator, he's not a bystander. He, he is sovereign intruder. Intruder. To deliver. Our own salvation to this day is grounded in the promise long, long ago given to Abraham. Through you I will bless all the nations of the earth, through him. And, and he believed the promise of God's free gift of grace in Christ, who's the sum and substance of our salvation. I am. Now notice, you know your Bible, if you've been a Christian for any, any stretch of time, we all know that the story of I am does not conclude in Exodus, or we'd be in trouble. It comes closer and closer until finally he, I am, takes on human form. Flesh, blood. He takes on human form as the son of Abraham, as the son of Moses, as the son of David, who is the son of God. who speaks. He speaks. Who says, who says to the famished, I am the bread of life. Who says to those who thirst, I am living water. 
who, who says to those who are desperately in need of leadership, I am the great shepherd. To those who fear death, I am the resurrection and the life. Amen? For he, he, Jesus, Colossians 1.15, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He enters into that as a man who declares time and time again, I am. I am. And that's what we'll look at in the coming weeks. Image of the invisible God, the seven I am statements of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen?